I'm Chaplain Jacob Scott of the Oregon National Guard. This is the Hope in the Trenches podcast. We're going forward. I'll sit down for conversations with people who offer interesting and informative perspectives on finding strength for life and work in the trenches and even improving our spiritual posture. Whether you feel like you're under heavy bombardment or ready to go over the top toward a new objective, it's good to be with you. Welcome to the Hope in the Trenches podcast. Our guest on today's episode is Dr. Paul White. Dr. White's a psychologist, speaker, and leadership trainer who makes work relationships work. For that reason, with his focus on developing healthy workplace relationships, I believe we can call him a thought leader in the area of work relationships and organizational culture. He's written articles and been interviewed by Bloomberg's Business Week, CNN, Fortune.com, Entrepreneur.com, Fast Company, Fortune, FoxBusiness.com, U.S. News and World Report, The Washington Post, and and Yahoo Finance. Dr. White is the co-author of the best-selling Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, co-written with Dr. Gary Chapman, the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. I know a lot of our listeners are familiar with that work. That's the book that introduced me to Dr. White's work because they're both curricula that we use with the Strong Bonds programs in the military, providing personal and relationship enrichment opportunities for our service members. Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace has sold over half a million copies and been translated into 27 languages. Based on their extensive interview and expertise, Dr. White and Dr. Chapman developed practical ways for leaders and employees to communicate authentic appreciation that leads to increased employee engagement, lower staff turnover, more positive work environments, and higher profitability. As a speaker and trainer, Dr. White has taught around the world in North America, Europe, South America, Asia, and the Caribbean. His expertise has been requested by numerous multinational Fortune 500 companies and faith-based organizations. Dr. White and his wife, Kathy, have been married for over 40 years. They have four adult children and numerous grandchildren. One of his sons is an Army chaplain, whom I've since had the pleasure of meeting at a symposium for, for chaplains. Now, we recorded this episode a few months ago, but my prayer is that it gives you some food for thought as we head into 2022. May you all have a blessed new year. Dr. White, thanks so much for being here with us today on Hope in the Trenches. My pleasure, Chaplain Scott. I'm glad to be with you. So, Dr. White, tell, tell us a little bit more about your origin story. What, what was the journey that led you to your career teaching and coaching organizations toward healthy cultures? So um, I grew up outside Kansas City in the context of a family-owned business uh, that my father and grandfather and mother actually uh, started and um, sort of lived through that and generational transfer and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, I wound up becoming a psychologist uh, and done a variety of things, including evaluating students that have learning difficulties and that kind of thing. But uh, oh, around 2000 or a little before, I was approached by some business consultants that knew of my background, and they had kept running into family issues because 85% of all the companies in the U.S. are family-owned. And so uh, I started consulting with them and their clients initially just around relational difficulties, uh, you know, uh, father and son or two brothers or something like that, then moved into uh, business succession planning about who's going to own it and manage it across generations. 
And in the midst of that, I was working with a uh, family business in North Carolina, and I was asking the dad and the CEO how things were going as far as the succession plan. He said, you know, I think it's going pretty well. My son's stepping up, and it's going to go okay. I walked across the hall to uh, the son, asking the same question. He said, this is a disaster. It's never going to work. I can't ever please my dad. And so they were at different spots. And uh, at the same time, uh, my wife and I were rereading, actually, uh, The Five Love Languages by Dr. Chapman. Um, and I thought, you know, I wonder if these concepts might work or apply in uh, work relationships. So I actually pursued him for a year and wound up meeting with him and pitched the idea of uh, developing an online assessment, which we did and uh, gone well. And then uh, started doing some training and then wound up writing the book together called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. And um, over time, then that's sort of taken more and more of my time and energy of trying to help uh, create positive workplaces. Well, that's that's fa fascinating. And I know that a lot of our listeners are likely familiar with the book, The Five Love Languages by, by Dr. Gary Chapman. And so the, the assessment that you mentioned, um, I believe you call it the Motivating by Appreciation Inventory, the, the MBA Inventory? Right. Yeah. And uh, so what we did is first we, you know, said, well, okay, what's, obviously we can't use five love languages in work-based relationships. And so agreed that probably the most uh, corollary concept would be appreciation. So we agreed on that. And then I started translating sort of what each of the love languages uh, uh, look like in daily life and created this assessment. And it's actually the same five languages in name, but they obviously look different in the workplace. And we've been fortunate. We have, I don't know, 280,000 people have taken our assessment. It's in a number of languages. And, uh, um, and have created different versions, uh, both for different settings. Actually, we have a military version because, uh, like, quality time can be a little bit of a challenge in the military around fraternization, and so adjusted it that way, and also gift giving. Um, and um, so, gone from there. Yeah, absolutely. There are there are regulations and different things that that, that govern some of uh, well what. We call our our left and right limits in in the military, or the the curbs for 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 how we how we 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 behave, and and certainly there are probably some cultural distinctions and things that uh, um, are common to the military that might not be as common in in civilian workplaces. I think we probably occupy a unique position in the National Guard and the reserve components. With with having a civilian occupation as well as the mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the military vocation too. So uh, in in the book, uh, appreciation at work or the five languages of appreciation in the workplace, you share a lot of statistics on job satisfaction and why people leave organizations, and and really I think that gets at your big idea or how you set up the big idea of appreciation. Um, what what is that research demonstrated, and, and how did how did that fit together? Well, you know, I came in the side door to this whole <laughs> field as a psychologist, not as an HR person or even an organizational you know leader or development person. And so when I came in, you know, I learned that you know there's all a lot of employee recognition programs. I mean, ninety percent of all companies uh, have some form of employee recognition, but 
what we were finding is that they weren't working in the sense of not, you know, they recognized people for performance, but they didn't really create positive morale or anything. And so um, started to find out there's a whole bunch of research out there that, you know, relates people feeling valued and appreciated to job satisfaction. But even more importantly than that, I mean, it's fine. We want people to enjoy their work, but, you know, uh, work is work. It's not always enjoyable. And uh, more importantly, there's set of research. We have over 50 research citations in uh, our chapter uh, on return of investment uh, for organizations that show that when team members feel valued and appreciated, uh, absenteeism goes down, tardiness goes down, uh, following rules and um, procedures goes up, staff um, morale goes up, uh, um, customer service ratings go up. Uh, in the private sector, uh, productivity goes up, profitability goes up, uh, managers enjoy their work more, uh, conflict goes down. So really the focus is not so much on, you know, making people feel good. I mean, I, you know, I'm a boomer myself. And I'm sort of like, yeah, you you got to work. I have plenty of employees. So I don't really care how they feel about it. They just need to get done. But it, it's sort of like oil in a machine. I mean, you know, if you have a machine uh, and you don't have any oil, you know, it sticks, it creates heat, tension, sparks, sticks, you know, I mean, just get stuck. And really appreciation helps organizations and departments and teams work together better with a greater effectiveness. And that's really become the goal. Um, and and we're able to demonstrate that that's what happens. And so over the, uh, what, 10 plus years now that our book's been out, um, it continues to grow, which is unusual for a book. I mean, we sell more books every year than than prior. Most business books sell 3,000 copies in their lifetime. We're selling three to 4,000 a month currently, sold 500,000. So uh, something's working. And, and, and I think it is that when team members feel valued uh, authentically, uh, good things follow. Certainly, that idea resonates uh, well with me as with me as a chaplain too. And in the army, we we have the philosophy of people first, and and winning matters. Of course, the the recognition that we can't win and we can't accomplish our mission with without our people. Mm -hmm. But now, of course, I've spent most of my adult life in the combat arms units of the military, and and this is. This is a volunteer organization. I mean, really, of course, any place of employment is is volunteer. It's perhaps a little bit different in what people are volu volunteering for when they join mm -hmm. the military. But some of my friends and colleagues might be thinking, is, is are you suggesting that we have to coddle our soldiers or airmen? Um, or is this, uh, you know, something blowing blowing smoke is a way that we might describe it in the military? Is, is, is this just about making people feel good? Yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, and that's that's sort of my point. I mean, if people uh, have a positive response and feel valued, that's good. But uh, that's not really our goal. We want to help um, teams work together effectively uh, with less conflict, and in versus you know sort of cracking the whip and they only do stuff when uh, you know there's threat of some kind of punishment. I mean, employee engagement's a big sort of term, and and it's practically it means that you know if you're not engaged you're there physically but not mentally or emotionally you're just sort of going through the motions and uh we know in the private sector 
you know, uh, only about less than 20% of the workforce is, is actually engaged. And, and I want to mention, I mean, we've worked with every, literally every branch of the military, including uh, Coast Guard and Air National Guard and uh, reserves and all that. And, um, and it's an important issue for a, a lot of reasons, in, including even some extra ones we can touch on about, you know, um, being together as a team and feeling supported as a team. So it, it's not just going through the motions. And I got to say, I, I mean, I worked with one group that, uh, you know, I, I know about awards and uh, performance awards and that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, one commander basically told his team, you know, write out, you know, why should you, you know, I should give you an award and, and, you know, sort of commend yourself. And, uh, and they did, and they got the award. I mean, it, you know, it's vir virtually meaningless for them uh, as far as from getting any actual uh, accommodations or, you know, from, um, or praise from their supervisor. So it, it, we're not about just going through the motions or making it look like you value, appreciate something. We, we focus really intently on authentic appreciation and genuineness. So maybe let's get kind of down into the, the nuts and bolts of the, this type of positive employee engagement that you're, that you're talking about. What, what is, what does that look like? for a, well, a, a, what we call a first line leader or a supervisor to, to make appreciation a genuine part of their engagement with their people? Yeah. So I think uh, an important point is to differentiate between employee recognition and uh, for us, authentic appreciation. Recognition has a long history uh, in the workforce in the United States and other places. And Recognition, when it's designed well and implemented consistently, uh, does a good thing. It's basically around performance. You're recognizing and potentially rewarding somebody who's uh, done their job well or even above and beyond. They've reached certain target goals. They're demonstrating the behaviors that you want to see from that position, whether that's, you know, a receptionist or somebody that, you know, greet somebody cheerfully or whether it's, you know, uh, somebody getting their reports and paperwork done in and on time, completing tasks and so forth. That's good stuff. But um, what we found in the workplace is that most uh, recognition occurs mainly to the top 10 or 15% in any unit uh, or department. Mm -hmm. And and often they, they sort of repeatedly get <laughs> the recognition. So you got this big middle group of 50 to 60% of uh, team members who just don't ever hear anything, you know, and they're good people and they're solid and they put forth good up there. They're just not your stars. And we know uh, that 79% uh, of the people who leave their job voluntarily cite a lack of appreciation is one of the key reasons for leaving. Most managers think people leave for more money. It's not the case. Uh, they may get more money, but that's not what drove them to leave. And so we really focus uh, and feel appreciation is about the person. That, um, you know, I come from a, a Christian worldview and believe that we're created and uh, we have value because we're created in the image of God and by him and for a purpose. And so it's not all about work. I mean, yeah, we got to do our work and it's good to get recognized for that. But for those people who aren't the stars, they still bring value. And also there are times in our lives where we're not at the top of our game. I mean, I have twin sons. Um 
that are now adults, but the first two years were, you know, the closest thing hell to hell I want to experience as far as sleep deprivation. And I was not, you know, the best in my unit. Uh, and, but I still need, and I, I still needed support, you know, and, and some encouragement. And so uh, there are times and places where we can communicate value about the person, even though they may not be performing at, at the top level. I think that's really a, an such an important idea and more than just more than just outputs because it is isn't it it's it's about valuing the individuals on our team or in our organization as yep. people as as human beings um, more than simply their their outputs yeah and let me give you an example of you know there's some characteristics that we have some of us at least that uh, are valuable but they don't necessarily show up on the performance checklist right I mean I personally prefer to work with cheerful people more than grumpy people or complainers. Uh, you know, it, it, they, the grumbly ones may be better performers, but I'm going to pick a cheerful, moderate performer over a high-performing jerk, you know, that's negative all the time. And so there are things like that, or it, sometimes it's even the outside of work. I mean, somebody that's uh, training for a marathon or a triathlon, you say, man, you know, Dave, that is so cool that you've got the discipline to train for. That. I'm really just impressed with that. Or maybe a single mom who just is really committed to her kids. And you say, you know, Maria, man, you just aren't so uh, jazzed about how committed you are to your kids and how you love them. And it doesn't have anything to do about work, but it's about their value as, as a person. And that's going to create a connectiveness uh, even a sense of loyalty from them to the, to either you or the organization. So that uh, it, and from reading the book, that that specificity is really important to the idea of appreciation, isn't it? It's more than just saying, "Hey, hey, good job. See see you next. Uh, see you tomorrow morning, or see you next right. drill." Yeah, we actually have uh, like nine, I don't know, ninety six thousand people on our newsletter list, and we'll do polls occasionally. And one time we asked, what don't you like to hear? Um, and good job is one of those things because it's too vague. It's general. It doesn't really take any time or energy to think about. You can say it to anybody. And I've had technical people say, my boss wouldn't even know if I'm doing a good job. They may manage me, but they don't know my technical skills. Um, and so we really teach you need to be specific. And I think the other thing that kicks in here is that most leaders, when they hear about appreciation, they think about words, right? That you're going to tell them thanks mm -hmm. or, you know, good job. And our research shows that over half of uh, the workforce uh, have a language different than words as the primary way that they want to be shown appreciation. So if you only use words, even if you're doing it great, you're missing half of your team or more uh, in how they want to be shown appreciation. That's sort of a core concept that not everybody feels appreciated in the same ways. But words, you've got to be specific. You use their name, tell them specifically what you value and why it's important. And the more specific you are, the more likely they're going to view it as being genuine. So you've got to really, as a leader, you've, you've got to have more than one tool in your kit. If you want to, if you want to, you know, encourage your team, I, I think so. Yep. And that's really our inventory uh, people ask me all the time. I just had another podcast uh, interview, and they said, "You know, what what do you what do you do if you don't know their language?" You know, well, asking somebody, you know, if you want to be appreciated or show appreciation, what should I do? That's a weird conversation in our culture. 
and you're not going to get much. You're going to say, I don't know, tell me thanks, you know, um, and that's about it. But so the inventory that we created uh, in this online thing it takes about 10 or 15 minutes, and it identifies the languages that people value, but also the actions within the language. And we discovered this along the way that, for example, quality time, it doesn't necessarily mean that they want time with you if you're their supervisor or manager. In fact, I tell older leaders, I said, just because you have a team member who has quality time as their language doesn't mean they want time with you. You may be great or wonderful, but younger employees more want to hang out with their, their colleagues and peers and go out to lunch or you know, go out after work and maybe watch sports together. So we allow people to choose not only the language, but the actions and from whom they want those actions. Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of an art to that too. I guess as I've become uh, more senior and and as a chaplain too, kind of knowing, know, knowing when when to disengage and when you know I've I've sort of made my points and uh, and and the value is there and not not staying around too long. Right. But now in the military, we, we used to use a term. Uh, I think, at least in my experience, and this could be or maybe a representative bias too, but uh, we used to use the term followership to talk about how a person is led. Now, I believe, of course, I've been doing this for a long time, so I believe that military service has incredible purpose and meaning, but but sometimes maybe our soldiers and airmen or, or other service members in other branches might have a hard time seeing the significance of the, the work that they're doing day to day. So how, how can leaders inspire their people to understand the, the purpose and meaning of their calling? And then, well, really on the flip side of that, how might an individual service member find meaning or purpose if their supervisor or first line leader doesn't seem to inspire them? Yeah. Well, that's actually a pretty deep question, isn't it? I mean, it, it's really about what's the purpose and meaning of our life and how does that play out in our vocation and career? And uh, you know, if you don't understand and accept that we're we're created and we have a creator and that there's purposes for which we've been created, one to have a relationship with Him and and bring Him honor and glory, as well as to use the gifts He's given us uh, for good for the community and to love others. It, it, you know, if you don't have that, it's sort of hard to find purpose and meaning at, at your work. I mean, the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about that, right? I mean, right. he did everything and accomplished everything, and he said, you know, it's all sort of just smoke and mirrors, uh, and it goes away. And so uh, there's that part. But I think at a practical level, um, I know my dad in the manufacturing that we did, he would – um, make sure that each person, because it was a factory and they, you know, put parts together and they glued stuff and boxed stuff up, that he helped them understand how their task related to the bigger project product and why it was important. And I think in uh, the, the military, it's important in some ways, you can almost go at it in, from a backwards point of view of saying, you know, here's what would happen if we didn't do what we do in this unit, or if you don't do this, this let's just follow this down. If you don't get the forms done correctly for this person's transfer or whatever it might be, then it creates, you know, uh, a, at least a delay. And then, you know, you sort of walk it down and, and you can see it doesn't take too much to get there 
that all of a sudden a whole bunch of things are screwed up and a whole bunch of people are impacted. And, you know, especially like, I mean, if I think about mechanical kinds of things that, you know, if, because uh, one of my sons is a chaplain in the reserves now for the army, but he was active and was in a, uh, um, a maintenance for um, vehicles. You know, if you don't do it right and, you know, you're in your, uh, truck or your tank and it breaks down, you know, you're, you're putting people's lives at risk. So I think you've got to both call to help them understand how their specifics relate to the bigger goal and purpose. Um, and, but then I think there, there's an issue that, uh, helping people see that they have value even beyond work, right? Because work is not the totality of our life. And, uh, I mean, I know for my wife who, uh, for a number of years was a stay at home mom, you know, and now, you know, we're in our sixties and she's like, you know, what did I give my life for? Well, we've got four incredible kids who are married, have grandkids doing well, and she molded and impacted them. But, you know, you have to sometimes help people remember and see what they're doing and, and the value it brings to other people. Oh, and, and absolutely, uh, absolutely. And now, uh, it, it was interesting as I as I read the book and realizing that you, well, I think the latest edition was published in in 2019. And, right. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is this is pre pandemic, pre pre COVID, right. and, and before a lot of people started teleworking. Um, and it, before before we started recording, we were we were talking about this just a little bit, but. You, you point out some research and and or maybe the big idea, and you've done some research since that. Um, it's it can be even more difficult to express appreciation to people when you don't see them regularly, mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, and and it may be even more tempting to reduce them simply to their outputs, but to to reduce them simply to what they provide for you rather than their value as a person. Yeah, yeah. So actually, in 2018, before COVID, obviously. We did research because we have a version of our inventory that is for remote and long distance uh, workers uh, because a lot of, you know, multinational and just organizations have people in different cities or states or whatever in countries. And so we wanted to find out, you know, do people who work remotely uh, want to be shown appreciation differently or is it pretty much the same? And largely the patterns were the same in that words was the most frequently um identified as the, the preferred way, quality time is second, access service is third, <clears throat> tangible gifts is fourth, and then physical touch is a, a whole separate thing that we can talk about if we want. But uh, we found that um, quality time sort of pops up more for people who are working remotely, which makes sense. It's still second, but it's higher. But more importantly, we found sort of three pieces that need to be in place for it to work. One is you have to be proactive when somebody's working remotely because you don't see them. I mean, they don't. You don't walk by their office and stick your head in, or you don't see them in the break room or coming in uh, to work in the morning. And so you don't have those sort of chance encounters where you might chat and so forth. And so if you don't reach out to them, whether by phone or text or video, it just doesn't happen. And so you've sure. got to be proactive. Secondly, sort of tying into what I said before, it's not all about you as a supervisor. That we want to keep your team members connected. Uh, and so we talk about, uh, in addition to being proactive, you have uh, focus on their peers and try to establish ways for the team 
to talk together. And I know during COVID, my team was remote. And so we would have sort of team meetings and, and, um, and just have times to chat. And that's the third P that we came up with personal is that if uh, you need to sort of set aside times to talk about just life, because it's not like you, you know, show up five minutes early to a meeting and you chat, you know, to the person next to you and say, you know, what'd you think about the all-star game or, you know, whatever, a sporting event or what are your kids doing? You, we don't have that. And in remote settings, it, it's the, the communication is very task oriented. It's like, okay, we're going to go over this budget. You know, we've got this, you know, project we're working on and there's not sort of this time for informal chit chat. And that's where people sort of just, I would say, denigrate down to just being a, a production unit versus a person. And and we really have to proactively talk about that, personalize, and not just ask them questions. I think sometimes leaders do that, and it turns into feeling like an interrogation, you know, sure. versus sharing, hey, you know, I got to go sailing with my brother this weekend, or you know, my I saw my grandson's you know t-ball game, um, and so you share a little bit so that it, it opens the door as well. No, that's that's great, and the, the sergeant major of the army. Uh, Michael Grinston, he he gave a little pointed out something in uh, actually it was a commercial that I saw on the Armed Forces Network while we were deployed, but he said he's he stopped just asking people, hey, where are you from, or especially young soldiers, where are you from, because that that's a short answer and you can very easily move on from there. So he's yeah maybe to to build that connection instead he's he's starting to ask people. Uh, how did you come up or how did you grow up or how, yeah. did, how, how did you get here? There's a story behind that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a great question is, you know, I don't know much about you. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what your life was like growing up, you know, and they can go whatever direction they want, whether it's family or where they lived or what they did and that kind of thing. Sure. Sure. Now, uh, before we connected for this interview, you, you shared with me some of your thoughts on, resiliency and the military. And one of the things that you highlighted is that uh, one of the most consistent factors when you when you try to measure resiliency has been the existence of, of social support. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, what can you expand on that idea of, of, of social support and kind of what, yeah. what does that mean? And does that happen at work? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's a bit of a yeah, this sort of a personal story. So, uh, um, chaplain, you know that one of my sons is a, a, a Army Reserve chaplain. He's now actually associate dean of the school for chaplains in, at Fort Jackson. But he uh, uh, served both in Iraq and Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, he uh, suffered a traumatic brain injury from a mortar that came in and and. Uh, blew up right next to him. And um, and so he went through all that and then wound up going on and getting his doctorate and studied actually the theology of resiliency, which is an interesting thing. But so he and I talked about this and he did a whole social uh, science, you know, lit review of all this. And again, again, social support come, comes up. And uh, it's it's because we're we need other people to get through tough times. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, yes, we have our own personal relationship with God, but, you know, we're also sort of the hands and feet of God here on earth. And we just need that. And it, it's not that you're weak or whatever. It's just that, you know, we get tired, discouraged, whatever. And it's helpful to have somebody there say, Hey, come on, let's keep going. 
and um, it, it's critical, and it's, it makes a huge difference in, uh, you know, sort of the uh, perseverance of uh, military personnel, soldiers and, and uh, airmen and so forth, that, uh, that they're part of a unit, unit, you know, and that whole band of brothers kind of story that uh, you just don't do it on your own. And so we know when people hear and understand, I mean, part of our task is to help people understand how others want to be shown appreciation so you can communicate it in a way it's meaningful versus, you know, somebody likes quality time um, themselves. And so they stop by, see how you're doing. And quality time is like not on your radar. It's like, right, leave right. me alone. You know, so it, it feels weird when people try to do stuff that doesn't hit. So we want to help make it, uh, help people sort of hit the target with what they're trying to do. And then that creates, you know, a connectedness that uh, allows them to support one another as they move through tough times. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I appreciate you and, and I am here for you. There's, there's a beautiful book by the Belgian Catholic priest, Henri Nguyen, um, that I think he, I think he wrote this book in the seventies, but the, the wounded healer. And Mm -hmm. he said, and he said, it's, it's communicating to people that, that, I am here for you, and I, I will be here for you tomorrow. Yeah, and it's important to note that uh, I appreciate your, your example, but it's not words for everybody, right? I mean, for some people, saying it, it's like, you know, doesn't mean much to me because they grew right. up in a context where people said stuff that they never followed through on. They're like, yeah, I heard that before. But uh, but it, for some people, it's just being there, right? You're there. Mm-hmm. You come and work alongside of them and get a project done. You know, or uh, and it can be active service that you know you're overwhelmed, you're focused on a you know short-term, uh, time-limited project, and you know you're pushing hard. And it's like, what can they do to help out? Uh, now, most people, especially I live in the Midwest, and the Midwest and Upper Midwest, if you ask if you need help, they're always going to say, "No, I'm good." You know, I mean, that's just right. the cultural. And so you got to sort of push through that and say, "No, really, I got some time. I'm glad to help you out. Is there something that I could do to help make it better?" And you know, sometimes you can get there, and they'll say, "Well, yeah, if you did this," and it could be as simple as just sort of doing a couple of little tasks so you can stay focused on the big one. Or maybe that you may delegate a little part or you say, hey, if you just go grab me a bite to eat and bring it in so I can keep working here at my desk. So, you know, it's little stuff that that really makes the difference. Absolutely. That's a great reminder. Thank thank you for for that. Dr. White, the the big idea for this podcast, the hope in the trenches, is that we always have hope. And, and I believe that the military is an inherently hopeful activity that, that what we do and what we're called to do gives the people in our communities, our nation, hope. And I saw that when I visited our soldiers and airmen who were working at the, the COVID vaccination centers around the state of Oregon. I saw that uh, on a recent deployment to Kosovo when 22 years after NATO began operations in, in Kosovo, uh, our presence there still inspired hope in the people that we met. How, how do you uh, define hope? And could you, do you mind sharing what, what gives you hope? Sure. So, you know, hope is based in, I believe, the belief and desire, expectation that things are either going to stay good or get better and good results. And And I think in this world that we live in, uh, although we have times and periods where things are going well, I, I think we have to remind ourselves that 
this life isn't all that there is. I mean, and so the hope ultimately comes into there's more to life than just this, that I do have a creator, that uh, I have purpose and meaning uh, besides my time on earth. And that, I think, hope is the, the source of courage, actually, um, because why be courageous if there's you know no, no reason to sacrifice yourself or effort or whatever? And so it, to me, I, you know, the flip side of it is without hope is anxiety, uh, fearfulness, not knowing who's in control and what's up. And it's also uh, apathy or discouragement. And we see an awful lot of that uh, in our culture and in the military. Um, right. And so, you know, I think it's having that hope that in, in my belief, you know, that Christ came to earth um, and lived here and died and rose again and said, I'm coming back to get you. And it's going to be pretty cool on the other side. And, um, um, and that also I get to live with him now. It's not just all about after death, but that, you know, having his spirit in me and, and the body of Christ. So, I mean, it's in my, my faith is where my hope is, uh, cause whatever I do work, it's here today. You know, it's not going to be here too much longer, you know, I mean, it just, you know, we fade away and, and that's okay. It's part of life, but, uh, having that hope in sort of, uh, the spiritual nature of our life is, is where it's at for me. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing, uh, that important reminder of, well, in that example of how, how your faith helps, helps you to live confidently and, and courageously in the present. And, and, and we do, we, we try to encourage everyone and and especially the the men and women that we serve with in the military that that you can be courageous in your present circumstances no no matter what they are knowing knowing that uh that that you that you always have hope i i want to be respectful of your time dr white and uh so major chris kerr our one of our great public affairs officer has has been listening in and chris um you you've been listening to the conversation uh, yes. what what kind of questions do you, do you have or or any uh, you know, thoughts I've, on what you've heard? Yeah, from what I've heard, I've been listening. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to read the book. I've been given it, and so I do want to look that over because I've uh, read the um, Love Language book. Uh, but one of the things I was just thinking about uh, that uh, made me think from the conversation is there's two quotes from Napoleon. And while you guys were talking, I looked these up. Um, I wanted to get them correct. And though, uh, you know, it might be a little cynical, that these I do remember from, you know, other training uh, for leadership and whatnot. But they're from Napoleon. And uh, one is a soldier will fight long and hard for a piece of colored ribbon. And oh, yeah. the other one is give me enough medals and I'll win you any war. So <laughs> uh, in the military, you know, we have one of the oldest professions. Uh, can you kind of unpack from your study why medals are used worldwide for armies and the reason they've been the standard of recognition for so long in the military? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I think the, the genesis of it is being recognized in front of your peers as well as your supervisors. That you're, we're calling attention to, because, you know, with a ribbon or award, a medal, 
there's a ceremony that goes along. I mean, my son just recently uh, was awarded the Purple Heart, um, and there was very significant uh, ceremony around that, both formal but also very personal. And so, and people came from all over because I think it's fairly unusual for a chaplain to get a Purple Heart, but came from all over because they wanted to be at the ceremony. And I think there's that aspect. Uh, but I think uh, while Napoleon was a great leader in many ways, I don't think he understood all of the depths of mankind. <laughs> and so I, I think uh, there is that part. But, you know, awards and ribbons don't get it for everybody. I mean, I've had people say, you know, words are cheap. Don't tell me you care. Show me. Um, and tangible gifts, which a medal is a kind of tangible gift. Uh, in our culture, only 6% of the population say that that's what they really want when they're showing appreciation. Uh, that, and I've had a number of people say, if I don't ever hear anything, if nobody ever stops, so I see how I'm doing, if they never help when I need help and they give me, you know, give me something, it feels pretty superficial. And I think that's the risk. And that's actually the problem with our reward and recognition programs, both in the private sector and to be honest, in the military is that it doesn't, the biggest comment is that it doesn't feel genuine, uh, that it's just sort of a token kind of thing, uh, very superficial going through. So we need to get at that personal level to help them feel valued and appreciated. And there's cultural aspects to it as well, but I think it's a, uh, it can be a good thing, but just by itself, it doesn't seem to be getting it done. Yeah, thank you. The, the big idea is that uh, the big idea is that validation uh, and, and appreciation for for who the person is and, and what they've been able to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dr. White, thank you so much for your time today, and well, and and thank you for I guess for sharing your son with us in in the army and in the military, and and because that's that's a sacrifice uh, by your family as well. Um, and thank you, thank you for your work. So God bless you and in, in your work and and the. Uh, I think you've got a great message, and and I pray that 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 resonates with a lot of people. Yeah, thank you. And and just so that people want to investigate more, we have a website. It's called appreciationatwork.com, and it's the word as not the at sign. And you know we have these inventories that teams with it's a lot you know a lot of people don't want to read a book that's fine but you can buy codes for your team members to take it and we actually have training materials that we've had you know both chaplains and uh resilience officers and uh i forget the name family service officers taken they and they take team members on their post and base through uh to try to help because what we want to do is make it easy for people to to learn how to do this and uh um it, it, it's cool to see uh, as people apply it, and, and uh, it makes a difference. Absolutely, and it's, it's gotten great feedback, and the, the five languages of appreciation in the workplace is an authorized curriculum through the Army Strong Bonds Program, so we are getting this book in the hands of our chaplains uh, here here in Oregon, and, and I'm sure you can find it in, in other states as well. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks very much. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thank you, Dr. White. God, God bless you. Thanks. This podcast is produced by the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office. My prayer for you is that wherever you find yourself, that you might find hope for today and strength for the ambiguity and chaos of life. Blessings on the rest of your day.